I thought horses seemed intriguing, so I begged my parents for riding lessons. And then as soon as I started, um, I think I was like seven or eight, I was just like, horses, 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 horses are it. I'm going to be a horse. I'm going to marry a horse. Like, I just um, kind of glommed onto that really hard. Hey y'all, and welcome to Unladylike, where we find out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Caroline. I'm Kristen. And saddle up, y'all, because today we're talking about horse girls. <laughs> All right, Kristen, I wouldn't call my younger self a horse girl per se. Okay. But I did have quite the collection of My Little Ponies and Briar horses, which are these fancy, like, plastic horse models that my Barbies would ride around. <laughs> so I, I only had like a handful of hand-me-down, well-used My <laughs> Little Ponies. Um, but my adolescent horse dreams were all about the art. I tried so hard to draw horses, Caroline, and they always ended up looking like wet brooms, and I would get legitimately upset about it. <laughs> so my tween self would have been Super jealous of our first guest today because illustrator Lisa Hannawalt is not only a horse girl, but she also brought to life one of the coolest horses in pop culture. Well, as a great woman once said, suck a dick, dumb shit. That's right, y'all. Lisa is a co-executive producer and the production designer on the Netflix animated series BoJack Horseman. And thanks to her personal horsery of riding and doodling, she immediately envisioned what Bojack should look like. I was like, oh yeah, so he's going to be brown with like this white snip. He'll kind of look like this horse Tony that I used to ride when I was like 14. Um, and, you know, he'll look a little bit like a thoroughbred mix and he'll be wearing a patterned sweater <laughs> at the end. And then, you know, all the execs were like, oh yeah, perfect. That's exactly right. Lisa Hannawalt is pretty much horse girl royalty, and we're talking to her to better understand the mystique of horse girls and how their horse love is so often misunderstood. Then we're venturing beyond even Lisa Hannawalt's horse girl comfort zone with writer Gray Chapman. Last year, Gray hoofed it to Kentucky for one of the most fanatical horse girl get-togethers called Briarfest. I was kind of like, ha-ha, look at this like weird event like it's going to be like a gathering of the juggalos for the horse girls like <laughs> gold you know like it makes my job easy i just go and i write about all the funny weird shit that i see and that's you know fine and people laugh and it's great but like actually being there and talking to them about it and also like obviously seeing some parts of my younger self in what they were saying i was like wow i'm not here to make fun of a bunch of teenage girls like these girls are awesome Hear that, y'all? Horse girls are awesome. So today, we're going to rein in the side eye, unbridle the earnestness, and canter across the spectrum of what it means to be a horse girl. All to find out what happens when we get off our high horses about horse girls. Uh, when I was in elementary school, I would, like, crawl around in the grass at recess and pretend to be a horse. Um... I was really good at that. Uh, <laughs> and then when I went to middle school, my brother, my older brother sat me down and he was like, listen, you are going into middle school. You're turning 11. Like, you can't keep crawling around in the grass pretending to be a horse because other kids will make fun of you. So you have to stop doing that in public. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> Kristen. Caroline. 
There is something about myself I've never really talked about. Ooh, okay, tell me, tell me. Uh, Lisa Hannawalt is not the only one who was told as a child to stop crawling around in the grass because other kids might make fun of her. So while you were pretending to be a horse, I was on the playground pretending to be a dog. Ooh, we would have been friends. Yeah, I know we would have, um, for sure. And uh, I'm very excited about that. So, like... Pretending to be a dog often involved, yes, like sometimes crawling around and running and sometimes barking. So I'm curious, like, what <laughs> what did pretending to be a horse entail? Oh, I mean, super similar, mostly just galloping around. I, I you know, some some kiddos gallop on their using their feet and their butts like super high in the air. Um, but I used my knees so that my butt would be lower and I'd look less like a primate. Like that always bothered me about the silhouette of a child pretending to be a horse. Um uh, so I had calluses like on my knees from galloping around so much. And then, yeah, I made a lot of horse noises and I would do like little jumps in my backyard and stuff. And and how did you feel when you were horsing around? Oh, so wild and free. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. It felt really good. I don't know how to describe it. It was just like, yes, this is like the core of my being right now. But I knew I knew it was like kind of shameful and ridiculous. So I'd try to hide it from other people as I got older. Did being a girl who was into horses make you weird or did it have some cachet? Um, I was definitely a weird kid. (laughs) You know, I always had like a couple of close friends, but yeah, I was not like a popular, well-adjusted girl. Um, (laughs) And I knew that like horse girl had sort of a stigma to it, but there was like, there was one other girl who was really into horses and I was like, oh, well, I'm not like her. She's like really weird. (laughs) I know there are tears. (laughs) um yeah it wasn't it was not the coolest thing so how did your how did your classmates like respond oh god they called me all kinds of names and stuff um I don't even remember they called me a horse poop which is not like a very creative name um but I was kind of just like whatever like I'm gonna just keep doing my thing like I like them so much it's not like I can change at this point you know I don't I don't really care to hide it so um yeah luckily I, I wasn't too self-conscious about it at that point. Well, now you're a grown horse woman who owns her own horse. Juniper. <laughs> um, yes, she is a 13-year-old fjord mare. Uh, she's a silver dun. Um, what else do you want to know? She's oh, 13, 13.2 hands high, which is short. Uh, she is very uh, charming. She loves people. She loves uh, cuddles and attention. Um, yeah, she's a very cuddly horse. Some horses are like a little more aloof, uh, and she's very warm. She's a sweet personality. Um, she's a little bit bratty. She was like kind of like someone's backyard pet for most of her life, I think. So she was a little spoiled. She walks very, very fast with her tiny legs. <laughs> she's faster than uh, most of the large horses at the barn. So I always have to like slow her down. But if I scratch a certain part of her neck, she stops and slows down. So that's her like emergency break. Um, <laughs> she's fun. She's a very fun horse. So tell us what you love about horses. This is such a hard question to answer, and I've spent a lot of time pondering it. And I think a lot of people who aren't into horses sort of think that it has like a romantic or sexual kind of side of it. But I think that's just because it's such an intense like attraction that it the only other comparison is like a romantic crush. You know, it's like 
one of those things where you see someone and you just feel like thunderstruck and you're like, I like everything about this person. I like their shape. I like their smell. Like even their flaws are cute. Like that's kind of how I feel about horses, except it's not romantic. It's just like a very strong, like, I just like this so much. (laughs) It's my favorite thing. (laughs) And I've kind of always been that way. Even now when I'm on my way to the barn, like I'll look out the window and see horses on the way there. And I'm like, ooh, horses. And then I ride my horse. And then on the way back home, I'm like, ooh, look, horses. Like it's just, it never diminishes. (laughs) Why do you think that so many girls, girls in particular, love horses, whether it is riding them, pretending to be them, drawing them, collecting Lisa Frank unicorn stickers, like... What do you think that connection is? I don't really know. That's the thing is like it feels like it has to be like hormonal or something. Like we need something to like put that kind of nurturing like kind of crush energy into. And horses happen to be like the perfect uh, vessel for it. Um, And like a lot of girls are into horses and they kind of lose interest as they get more into boys. And that's definitely like a phenomenon. Um, But I'm not sure. And it's not that men don't like horses. Like, if you look at the sport, like, a lot of men are excelling in it. So um, men do ride. But it's just, it doesn't feel, like, as intense of a thing. Okay, Caroline, can we just take a hot second here to consider how bizarre it is that horse-girl relationships are still so constantly sexualized? Truly. (laughs) Like, because, like Lisa says, men get into horses too, but nobody's reading erotic undertones into, like, sea biscuit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, get this, Kristen. Sigmund Freud's daughter, Anna, also became a psychoanalyst, and in 1926, she popularized a theory that girls get into horses for a few specific reasons. Okay. So number one, all that grooming involved appeals to feminine caregiving. I mean, that actually checks out with my my little pony pass. Go ahead. (laughs) Number two, it's kind of like riding a giant vibrator. Getting weirder. And or number three, the Freudian catch-all, penis envy. Oh, of course. Of course. Well, I think Lisa Hanna-Walt would call that a bunch of horse shit. People just don't understand being really into something without wanting to fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, that's kind of stupid. (laughs) Like, do you want to fuck a bowl of ice cream? Um, I mean, maybe you do. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to be crass. Um, What kind of ice cream? Is it moose tracks? Uh, (laughs) I mean, hmm. (laughs) And this, okay, the the whole sexualizing factor is bizarre because because we don't think that there's not the whole thing of like, oh, well, if you're a cat lady, obviously you want to fuck all those cats. I think it's because it's it's like a large, powerful thing that you're sitting on. Like you're literally like it's literally mm. between your legs. And I think that's part of it. And like there's a lot of like I mean, your hips are rocking back and forth on it. Like it does. It can it can look sort of sexualized. Um, And also you're wearing like you know, big black boots, and you're carrying a whip, so. No. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about some kinky boots. When we come back, Lisa and I rehash our briar horse pasts. Plus, we ride to Kentucky with journalist Gray Chapman to the giant horse girl gathering at Briarfest. Stay bull with us. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, so listen. Wait, let me back up. I listen. I, listen. <laughs> I had a stable of briar horses. Um, I had a Should lot I just of like them. identify them for you as you describe them to me? I'm like, oh, yes, uh, that's the model uh, sculpted by so and so in 1983. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> no, I'm not that good. Damn it. We're back with Lisa Hanawalt of Tuca and Birdie and Bojack Horseman fame. Now, Caroline, what exactly are briar horses? And by that, I mean, like, <laughs> what the fuck are you and Lisa talking about here? <laughs> Okay, so there are these hand-painted resin model horses. They've been around since 1950, and they're super collectible. A big show jump up from, say, a My Little Pony. Uh, I had two. uh, They were part of the Proud Arabian family, I think is what the prayer (laughs) called them. Um, And one of them was like chestnut and kind of looked like a horse in a book that I really liked. And then um, the other one was gray and kind of looked like a horse that I rode um, in riding school named Burgundy. So I named it after him. I think my favorite one, because I projected like this maternal um, like personality onto her and it was a her. Um, She was like kind of grayish whitish and she was just standing she wasn't like prancing there was no like leg in the air she was just like i'm just like a grayish white horse that's just kind of hanging out and i'm clearly more responsible than all of these (laughs) other ones i always liked the standing ones better than the prancing ones partly because they you know stood up better they didn't constantly fall down but yeah i thought you could sort of do more with them and you could kind of make them gallop but it would break their legs sometimes they had really um kind of fragile legs yeah, I had to super glue some of those legs. <laughs> yeah, same. My dad had like a whole factory in his workshop of like yeah. helping to glue my horses back together. Now, Caroline, I, I could seriously listen to you and Lisa horse out for hours. Oh, good, because I could too. <laughs> but hey, we've got a place to be. An equine extravaganza that our briar horse head Lisa once dipped her hoof in and then promptly dipped out. Do you know about Briarfest? Oh, yeah, I went. Uh... I made my parents take me. <laughs> they were like, yeah, okay, I guess we can go to Kentucky. We have some colleagues there we could visit. So we all went. And I remember going and, like, there was this thing at, like, the Holiday Inn near Brayerfest where people would have their rooms open and you could walk into any room and they would have all their Brayers set up. And they Whoa. were, like, set up. In, they would have, like, the drawers of the dresser pulled out and, like, horses in the drawers. Um <laughs> And we went and we were like walking around and my parents and I were both like, oh, my God, this is kind of weird. These are like grownups who are selling and trading these brayers. And this just feels like a little strange. And I think that was like kind of the beginning of the end of that hobby for me where I was like, I don't I like doing this now, but I don't know if I want to be this kind of adult, um, you know, no no shade to adults who are still into that. But it, it was like a strange vibe. <laughs> it was like it was like Comic-Con, but for plastic horses. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly how I think of it. To get a peek inside that horse girl Comic-Con, we've got our very own hoofs on the ground. Our next guest, Gray Chapman, reported on the 2018 Briarfest for the New York Times. Only the tip-top horse girl press credentials will do here at Unladylike Caroline. That's right. <laughs> Gray is an Atlanta-based writer, a friend of ours, and perhaps most importantly, a horse girl. Some people, like, start off dabbling into the, like, My Little Pony realm. I wasn't personally into that. I kind of jumped right into Briars. Um, I guess you could say I was just a little too mature for <laughs> such juvenile toys. Now, Gray didn't just play with plastic ponies. She rode horses competitively as a young girl as well. But she never knew about Briarfest until two years ago when a friend from her riding days posted about it on Facebook. I was like, Briarfest? What? 
So Gray pitched the story to the Times and got the green light. Then she hopped in her car and drove six hours from Atlanta to a giant horse park in Lexington, Kentucky. I got there on a Friday night, went straight to the Clarion Hotel, which is where all the wheeling and dealing of models happens. That was fascinating. Then the next morning, the actual event opens up to the public for the first time. And I'm there at 7 a.m. There were people camped out. And then, I mean, once they opened those gates, it was a stampede, um, for lack of a better word. (laughs) I mean, it was wild. It was, there was so much. It was a huge event. Briarfest attracts around 30 thousand mostly horse girls of all ages. They come for the real live horse riding demonstrations, the briar horse diorama contests, and basically just like wall-to-wall horse girling. There were craft tents. There were model horse competitions. There were multiple like arenas where different kinds of riding were on display, like a woman doing like a side saddle performance like Downton Abbey style. And just like Lisa Hanawalt remembered, there were all those hotel rooms packed with briar horses for sale. Basically, in this entire block of this hotel, all of these dealers rent rooms, and that's where they're staying, but it's also where they're selling. And so you, you know, poke your head into room 106, and the dealer would be like, you know, laying on their bed eating takeout out of a styrofoam box and watching TV, and their whole room has been, like, transformed into a store. Like, they brought in racks and shelving, and there's, like, a dozen people crammed in there, like, browsing. It was really, really intense. Briarfest was also really, really not especially diverse. (laughs) So I would definitely say that, unsurprisingly, it was a very white crowd. Not 100% white, but definitely it was a lot of white people. Um, There were a lot of. Sorry, why do you say unsurprisingly? I don't know. I mean, when I think of people who have, like, horses are a very white presenting hobby, I guess. I mean, I'm hesitant to say that because that's, of course, not unilaterally true. But I don't know. It just seemed like a very, like, white person thing to do is going to this event. Yeah, so Caroline, I Google image searched horse girls, and I had to scroll and scroll and scroll to find a photo that wasn't white girls on horses. And if you look at the horse girl canon, think Black Beauty, National Velvet, A Horse Called Wonder, the stories star white girls. Like, the only exception I found is in the Saddle Club series, which is basically like the babysitter's club (laughs) of horse girl books. Carol Hansen is the only recurring character of color that I could track down. Like, just one character. But if we're talking real-life cowgirls, women of color have really been claiming their horse space lately. I mean, just go on Instagram and look up Yeehaw Agenda. Yeah, the Yeehaw Agenda is a term coined by Houston-based pop culture archivist Brie Malandro as a hat tip, basically, to country-western style meets black culture and fashion. So think, like, Megan the Stallion or Beyonce on horseback in the Daddy Lessons video in Lemonade. 
Yeah, and not to mention equestrian traditions like Escaramuza in Mexico, which is sort of like rodeo meets fancy trick riding. And of course, you know, horses are deeply entwined in many Native American cultures. Back at Briarfest, what did jump out to Gray was the diversity of age ranges. I was expecting it to be like wall-to-wall little girls and tween girls, but it was all ages. I mean, I I interviewed a woman who is in, I think, her 60s, who goes every year, and she literally moved to be closer to Briarfest. Like, she moved homes to Kentucky so that she could be closer to the, to the event. So, I mean, there was, like, a very—it was a huge spectrum. Kristen, before we did this episode, I thought of horse girls, like, exclusively in the Lisa Hanawalt vein. You know, the girls galloping around on the playground, doodling horses in their notebooks, wearing airbrushed horse t-shirts. But Gray pointed out that, like, hello, there is more than one breed of horse girl. Exactly. There are cowgirls, barn girls, trail guides, equestrian riders. There's, like, the Tina Belcher end of the spectrum, and then there's, like, the... Taylor Swift end of the spectrum. I'm pretty sure Taylor Swift is a horse girl. She's got that big horse girl energy, I think. She has big horse girl energy. And that is the thing, too, is that you don't have to actually participate in equestrian sports to be a horse girl. Plus, there are plenty of horse-obsessed girls who are never even going to come into contact with the actual animal. So I'm guessing, Caroline, that this is where those briar horses come in. For sure. And, like, granted, 50 bucks for a briar horse isn't exactly cheap. But that's a drop in the feed bucket compared to the hundreds of dollars a month it'll run you to simply board a real live horse. This is, like, a way to assemble your own herd basically. I guess it's kind of a proxy for a real horse in a way that is shockingly effective, um, but it seems to really work for little girls. What does Briarfest mean to these girls, especially like the younger ones who might still be in the throes of the backyard horse girlness? Like, yeah, what, what does it mean to them? I think it means everything. And honestly, like, yes, the young ones who are still in the throes, but I think it means a lot to the older ones who are still in the throes, too. Because, you know, I mean, I spoke with teenage girls and, and people in their early 20s who, like, still play with their briars, and this is still a big part of their life. And I think that... Briarfest gives them, you know, a place where they can just, like, really lean in publicly and be amongst, like, kindred spirits. And, you know, everybody's version of their fandom is a little bit different, but the fact that you're surrounded by people who are all on the same page and, like, won't roll their eyes at your Briar Horse collection in your bedroom um, and have also spent a lot of time, like, doodling horses in the margins of their algebra homework. Like, it's just, you kind of, like, are all on the same level, and you get it. And I think that, especially in, like, prepubescence, is, like, it's such an opportunity for these girls to just, like, finally kind of let their little freak flags fly. And it's it's very wholesome and special for them. When we come back, Gray leads us on a brief tour of Horse Girl Internet, a place where those horsey freak flags can fly year-round. And later, Lisa Hanawalt will tell us what it's like to transition from a horse girl to a horse woman. Stick around. Stick around. 
the last thing I'm gonna show you guys is like the most exciting way to kind of end off my Briar Fest. This was an exciting pull. I opened, opened her up. I think I didn't even have to open up the bag yet. I just like slipped it out of the green plastic bag and it was, oh, it was a splash variation of the Diana model. Oh my gosh, I still can't believe it. Oh, she is just gorgeous. I am in love with her and look at her eyes. She actually has blue eyes. That's so cool. I love them. Oh, she's so cute. Look at look at that little spot on her nose. She has a little spot on her nose and my camera is not wanting to focus. I mean, same, but come on camera, you gotta work with me here. That was Stormy Strike, one of the most popular horse girls on YouTube. Yes, that's right. The online horse girl community on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube is not only a pretty magical place, but it is also thriving. So we had to ask our horse correspondent, Gray Chapman, about it. So what what is floating around in horse girl internet then? Like, what is the content? So much good content. So, I mean, you know, there's there are memes and inside jokes. There are, like you know, girls who collect briars and do, like, styled photo shoots of them. You know, like, standing wistfully next to a creek. Something that a nature photographer would want to shoot of, like, an actual horse. So there's that. Um, the YouTubers that I spoke with were in the, like, 16, 17 to early 20s range. They create scripted dramas with their briar horses. They hold casting calls for voiceovers for each other. Thanks for all your help with transporting the horses, Austin. No problem. It's what I'm here to do. Hey, Lou, I've been meaning to ask you. Do you think that maybe later we could go catch a... Uh, hold that thought. A movie? Never mind. The thing is, like, you can't make a briar horse move without moving it with your hand. So, you know, the hands are in there and there's dramatic music. And it is, it's, I mean, it is just like the furthest and most wonderful logical extension of what any little girl would be doing with a briar horse, like in her backyard or with her friends. But it's like, formalized and captured on camera and distributed out to the entire world. Come on, boy. Go. Easy now. Easy. Good boy, Lazarado. Come on. Come on. Good boy. Well, so what effects has this online horse girl community had on the girls themselves? The social media circles that have emerged in horse internet have really, like, emboldened the horse girl. Like, it gives the horse girl a place to, like, find her kin. It's basically, like, 24-7 Briarfest, like, 365 days a year, you know, where they can, like, FaceTime their horses to each other and, like, make videos and, you know, like... And they're basically doing a lot of the stuff that we were doing as kids when we played with Briar horses, like making them kiss and, mm -hmm. you know, like cantering them around in the backyard, but they're like documenting it on Instagram. And so now they're finding each other. 
Kristen, Gray even met two girls who staged a horse wedding at Briarfest. Okay. Yeah, like they were internet friends whose Briar horses met and fell in love on FaceTime. Of course they did. Yeah, totally. And so when the girls got together at Briarfest in real life, they dressed up their horses, got a cow to be the priest, and threw rose petals. <laughs> I so wish I could have been there, Caroline. Well, and Gray also says, though, that beyond just horse girls being able to find each other, that horse girl internet is also helping redefine how we think of horse girls and who they are. I mean, I think that like events like Briarfest and especially the emergence of horse internet in particular have allowed people to see that there are those girls or people and that it isn't just a unilateral like Taylor Swift. I think it opens people up to the idea that a horse girl and like a snooty, you know, rich white girl are not necessarily one and the same. So, yeah, I mean, I think that maybe that sort of visibility can help um, to at least add a little bit of nuance and dimension to our understanding of the horse girl. Okay, Kristen, the question for this episode is what happens when we get off our high horses about horse girls? Gray has an answer. Okay, I think at the risk of potentially like offending anybody at Briarfest, but I think that it is safe to say that most of what I saw there would be considered by the average person to be like a little weird. And I just love that they like didn't give a shit. It was just cool. I don't know. It's teenage years, especially, are so fraught that it was very refreshing to see that demographic in particular. Just really owning this thing that most people on, like, let's say, the internet would, like, roll their eyes at. But it was cool to see these teen girls just, like, be like, fuck it. Embracing that earnestness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's, like, really hard nowadays for some reason to be, like, earnest about something you really love. Like, I think we all feel, or at least speaking for myself, I feel pressure to be, like, a little, a little bit jaded and a little bit guarded and... You know, the idea of very publicly throwing myself into something that I'm genuinely, like, passionate about is a little daunting to me. And so it was cool to see these girls who were younger than me get it so much better. Like, it clicked for them. And it was cool to see. I, I don't know. I like earnestness. It's hard. It is hard. I'll just say this. I'm interested to see what this generation of horse girls becomes. What, like... 20 years from now, some of these girls that I talk to, like, do they outgrow it? Or does this become, like, a mission? I don't know. We'll see. In the meantime, Caroline, if we want to know what grown-up horse scrolling can look like, we've got to get back to our first guest, Lisa Hannawald. I mean, she went from getting called horse poop at school to attracting now her own Hannawald horse fans. So, Lisa, how is being a horse woman different than being a horse girl, do you think? I think the main difference is now I'm more into the community of of the barn and, like, riding with other people. I think when I when I rode as a teen, like, the other barn girls tended to be really bitchy and, like— they were a lot of them were rich and owned their own horses and i didn't really relate to them like i i worked at the barn in order to pay off half of a horse lease you know like and so there was kind of like a a hierarchy there um it wasn't like that great of an environment um 
But now, like, I ride at this barn where there's a lot of cool women, a lot of older women who didn't get into riding until their 30s. And um, there's a lot less judgment, a lot more acceptance. And and I, it's fun that I can, like, show up at the barn and be with my horse and we can all kind of talk about our horses together. Like, there's no lack of, like, things to talk about when there's horses around. And we can all go on trail rides together. And, yeah, it just it's really great and supportive. So we've actually heard from... A couple of unladylike listeners who are uh, horsewomen themselves and have talked about how um, what one was even a self-identified horse spinster because <laughs> she's just like I, dudes just do not it's it's a a turnoff for them. So I, we were wondering if you had any advice for listeners who feel feel like their horse love is something that they are embarrassed about or I was just thinking about this I was just thinking about like how incredibly lucky I am that my partner supports this and he's the one who encouraged me to take lessons again and he's the one who encouraged me to you know he was telling me like oh you should make a goal out of getting your own horse one day and then when I came to him with like uh, Juniper's ad a week later and I was like I think I'm gonna get this one he's like I didn't mean like literally right now (laughs) (laughs) But he supported it. And, like, every time I ask him, like, oh, should I go to the barn today or not? He's like, yeah, you definitely should. The answer is always yes. You never regret going to the barn. Um, You know, I go, like, four or five times a week. But sometimes I'm just, like, so tired and overworked. I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't go today. Um, But he encourages me. And I think it's just – I mean, that's that's what I liked about him in the first place is I a lot of guys I've dated have been threatened by my devotion to my artwork as well. Um, and he never was. He always got it. So I don't know. Find you a man like that, I guess, um, or a woman or any kind of partner who supports you and, and knows that you should do what you love, whether it involves them or not, and isn't threatened by that. Um, and if you can't find that, then there's nothing wrong with being alone. <laughs> like being single is great, too. Have you heard from any current or former horse girls who feel, like, excited by or validated by your success? Uh, Yeah, I've heard from a couple of people who are like, oh, my God, it's so cool that you just stuck to what you love. And then you, like, you know, started drawing horses for a living. You know, like, I designed BoJack Horseman, which is just crazy that my life went in that way. Um, (laughs) uh, And now I think I feel like horse girls are like more accepted now because like there's all those girls in like Finland who ride those hobby horses and it's like a whole sport. And then there's girls on Instagram who like their whole thing is crawling around pretending to be a horse and like going over jumps. And then they edit their videos to cool music. And like, it's so, it's, it just fills my heart. I love it so much. They're like, I, I follow all their accounts. Um, I just love them. (laughs) You know, Caroline, I think the mystique of horse girls is their capacity for unselfconscious joy. Mm -hmm. You know, like regardless of how uncool they might be, you got to admire their gallop. Oh, I do. I do. And Kristen, I've got to say, like, I've even started feeling a little protective over horse girls because... It honestly seems to me that horse girling isn't all that far removed from what we consider like typically boy hobbies, you know, whether that's comic book obsessions or like baseball stats. Like, let horse girls just live already. Oh, they're gonna live. They're gonna live. They're gonna live. And now, horse girl and ladies, we know y'all are out there and we wanna hear from you. 
Have you ever been shamed for your horse girling around? Or are you a grown up horse woman who makes Briar YouTube videos? Hit us up on social at Unladylike Media or join the conversation in our private Facebook group. You can also email us at hello at unladylike.co. Head on over to our website, unladylike.co, to find this episode's sources, transcript, and some links to watch BoJack Horseman. The first half of season six just dropped on Netflix. And while you're on unladylike.co, you can sign up for our newsletter to get a weekly update on actually good news about women in the world. Sam Lee and Nora Ritchie are the producers of Unladylike. Abigail Keel is our senior producer. Gianna Palmer is our story editor. Shruti Marate transcribes our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Mixing, sound design, and additional music is by Casey Holford. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Daisy Rosario. Special thanks to Brendan Byrne at Stitcher Studios in LA. And to Stormy Strike and Lightning Stables for their amazing work on YouTube. Go check out their other videos. We are your hosts, Caroline Irvin and Kristen Conger. Next week. I know that the thing that sold the show was my telling him about a conversation that most lesbians I knew had had, which is when you start a new relationship, is it okay to just wash your old dildo or do you have to buy a new one? It's <laughs> a good question. And like, and? He just he stood up in the room and said, I love this. We're doing it. We're talking to Eileen Chaikin, co-creator, writer, and executive producer of The L Word. Make sure you're subscribed to Unladylike so you don't miss this episode. Find us in Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. And remember, got a problem? Get Unladylike. I was literally walking through a horse cemetery, like where they bury famous lauded horses in the Kentucky Horse Park. And a woman appeared to me. She was real. (laughs) But I swear to God, like, the way that I was walking through a barn and the way that, like, the light and the dust, it was, like, this magical experience. And I, like, wasn't planning on interviewing her, and we ended up talking for 30 minutes. So we were talking about her horse collecting, her model horse collecting hobby. And she said... When my ex-husband said, quote, it's me or the horses, I said, quote, have a nice day. Stitcher.